Hi, welcome to Happy Tears Bonus Episode! I'm Brandon. And I am Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love, so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today, bonus episode on our favorite, our top, the best, some might say, movies of last year, 2019. We're going to go through, what are we doing? We're doing our top 10. We're doing our favorite scenes, funniest scenes, musical moments. Of course, we're going to cover our favorite happy tears moments when we cried the deepest, the hardest, we were moved the furthest, and we're doing the top movies, and this is Happy Tears. So before we get into our top 10, our personal top 10s, why don't we um, look at the top 10 as far as the world and their dollars <laughs> decided? Yeah, um, give us some some box office numbers. Yeah, so I'll just start at number one. Okay. Uh, and it should be no surprise, Avengers Endgame made the most money last year. Huge movie. $2.8 billion. <sighs> wow. Uh, that's rounding up from two point like seven nine something something. I okay. rounded all of these to the nearest tenth of a decimal point. I'll do this quickly. Number two, also of the Disney Corporation. Actually, the top five are all Disney <laughs> things. Number two, The Lion King, one point seven billion. Number three, Frozen two, one point four billion. This is worldwide box office. Number four, actually kind of surprising to me, Spider-Man Far From Home. Wow. Yeah. 1.1 billion. <laughs> Lousy. I know. What idiots. <laughs> Number five, Captain Marvel, 1.1 billion also. So four or three of the top five are... That's why they keep making these films. I know, right? Wow. I couldn't figure it out. And then... The numbers don't lie. Number six, best actor Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker at mm. $1.07 billion. Toy Story 4, also $1.07 billion. That's number seven. Number eight, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, also right around that at $1.07 billion. Uh, number nine is Aladdin at $1.05 billion. And then rounding out the top ten, Jumanji, the next level at seven hundred and ninety million. Yikes, losers! Um, all of those films are either franchise films or remakes of classic films. That's crazy. And uh, they all made a lot of money, and only one of which might possibly be mentioned later. <laughs> At least by me. I don't know if you get anything. Maybe. When it comes to our lists, um, let's talk a little bit about kind of our own personal criteria for, for how we populated our top tens. You yeah. So, I mean, it's really tough to, you know, put put art in a uh, in a top ten situation. I guess what I look for is kind of just different kinds of films. Like what is the, the action film that stuck out to me this year? What is... I have maybe two films that are kind of sitting at the top that I think might have uh, pulled away from the pack. But I love all of these films and even have a couple honorable mentions. I think it was a super strong year for, for film all around. But um, yeah, I have a, let's see, one documentary in here. There's, I guess, every year I'd love for there to be at least one of kind of, I guess I put them in these like, categories or buckets or whatever but yeah. one that's kind of like real funny and entertaining and um kind of hits all the right 
beats and then looking for one that kind of blows me away like visually or and then several of these have kind of like a mixture of all of these things right sure i would say that my order and at least the like three and on kind of matter less it's just and there's still some that i i truly loved outside of this that i think could have been been in it as well but but what are you looking for when yeah i i didn't have kind of a categorical look at it like i wasn't trying to like oh i need i need this type of film and now i need this type of film not that i'm saying you're exactly doing that yeah i'd say i'd say i'm just doing less of like I need these particular things, but I'm saying going into the year, these are like the things I'm hoping for. And these just happen to kind of fit those things for me. Right. Yeah. For me, it was really just kind of balancing my personal favorites and what I thought were either technically or categorically the best movies. So like when we talk about like Parasite that won best picture and is thought by many to be like one of the best movies of the year, it is both in my opinion, one of the best plus one of my favorites. But there are a couple other films that I may think be on a technical level, maybe not quite as perfect or tight as that one, but Mm -hmm. just on an emotional level, maybe struck very deeply. So yeah, um, I'd say, I'd say the same about, same about mine. And uh, this year it kind of happened that my number one happens to kind of fit both of those situations there. But, but I do agree that not all, I don't have these in kind of like, what I think are objectively maybe the best order here, but, but more of um, a mixture like you're talking about. And how difficult was it for you to put together this list? I've had this list. I don't know about you. I've had this list built for like four or five months and have just been like tweaking it a little. Yeah. And, and there, I mean, even my, especially that like three through eight, range mm-hmm. has has jostled quite oh, a quite a bit absolutely often. mine mine too I'm, I'm still not quite set on that yeah that like three through <laughs> through eight it's the same for me but uh yeah again i'm excited to excited to do this i think it's one of the better years of the decade for film so for show and it just so happens to be our first year of doing this together yeah so we uh dive deep into a lot of these on previous episodes well Let's do it. Top 10. Here we go. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very competitive. I think we agreed to kind of uh, not necessarily breeze through our 10 through 6, but uh, we'll spend a little more time probably on the on the top five yes so yeah so i have two honorable mentions ah uh so honorable mentions i have the peanut butter falcon and the farewell uh love both those movies probably in another year they'd be up in the top 10 but uh it was a really good year for movies nick so um they sit right outside just outside the top 10 they're friendly with with the top 10 yeah oh yeah got it well if i were to do by that logic my honorable mentions yeah. would be also the Peanut Butter Falcon, just mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. Also, 1917 for me, nice. just outside the top 10. Cool. Um, Ad Astro's out there, The Lighthouse is out there, and that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> movies I really liked, uh, but like you said, big year for movies. Um, later, I think when we talk about the movies of the decade, we'll talk about how different years compare, but this is. One of my favorite years of the last decade of movies, Mm -hmm. not just because this was also the year I happened to have a podcast where we talked about movies and it helped 
enormously with my right. analysis. But uh, big year, baby. Big. Big. You want to go ahead and give me your number 10? Yeah. So my number 10 is The Lighthouse. This kind of visual, I think it's a visually striking film. Two of my favorite performances. Uh, and this one, just a very contained, uh, wet, moist <laughs> film. Uh, I love the cinematography here. And yeah, it, it might have been a little higher if I had some repeat visits, but it stays at number 10. Yeah. Um, I believe we saw this one together. Yeah. Right. And, um, I remember saying when we left that I had no idea what I had just watched. <laughs> and for a lot of, in a lot of ways, I still don't, but I feel like I've impacted it a little bit over time. And um, really great acting performances by both Leeds and Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And I will talk about that more later as we go through some of our favorite scenes of the year. Beautiful. Uh, my number 10. Yes? Yeah. Uh, a little documentary film, the only documentary on my list mm-hmm. about... NASA. Mm. It's a documentary called Apollo 11, and uh, it's about the uh, Apollo 11 space mission, the moon landing. It's been a while since I've watched it, but I, first of all, no, it's it, no surprise to uh, repeat listeners, but if you haven't been here before or in a while, Nikki loves some space. He's a space boy. I'm a space boy. And so um, very partial to things that happen in space, uh, especially fictional stuff. But man, if it happened for real... For real, for real. That's cool. And uh, what's great about this documentary is it is, uh, I guess, like found footage. I don't know where it came from. I haven't done any research. But uh, someone found this incredible 70 millimeter footage of the this mission. And so there's footage from inside the control room. There's footage from where they the rocket actually took off. There's footage from space and and the actual mission the moon landing and so just have, being a fly on the wall during all of these events is was just incredible phenomenal and um yeah a big happy tear for me anytime i hear the uh small step for man one giant leap right. for mankind especially after you've been watching this whole process up to here it really built for me and uh that was a big uh big moment for me and uh i i love this thing and i think it's still on hulu so highly recommend Nice. Yep, that's my 10. My number nine is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I really enjoyed this movie. I think that one of the things I love most about it is its style. It's totally unique, kind of off-kilter style. And I love the characters in this. And there's a, a bunch of really, really great scenes. I love the the score of this film. I think the music adds a lot to the film. Um, you could tell there's uh, Joe Talbot, the director, was influenced by Spike Lee. It felt very much in that kind of lineage of films. And I think it probably would have been a little higher. I I think some of the storyline felt maybe just a little bit disjointed to me or didn't seem to flow as nicely as some of the other films. And I, you know, this is a director's first film. I imagine that he has some, some big things in his future. Yeah. Number nine. It's a good movie, and I will have more to say later. Mm-hmm. My number nine mm-hmm. movie you already mentioned. It's called The Farewell. Man, this movie is great. All of these movies are great. I guess it's worth mentioning. This is our top ten of, of of a year's worth of movies that includes. You know, I I was looking at the box office, and I was just shocked at how many movies you know come out in a given year. Yeah, but um, 
Yeah, The Farewell, so many great things to say about this. You know, it's based on the true story of director Lulu Wong when they get the news that their grandmother uh, is uh, sick. The family decides not to tell her, and then they all make a trip to China to uh, see her under like a false pretense of a fake wedding for her cousin. And uh, there's a lot of drama in that premise, right? Because... uh, we watch the main character, Billy, struggle with kind of her Western upbringing and her Eastern roots. Uh, the different cultural clash that comes with the uh, the way these cultures go about bad news. And um, a- along with a ton of really funny moments because it is a... Uh, anytime you have char- certain characters know one thing and cer- others don't, if you choose to have a comedic thing around that it's there's a lot of area where you can play and um super funny super heartfelt all the acting is incredible i think we both have talked about zhao shuzhen is her name she plays the grandmother she's a chinese actress uh is incredible and i think aquafina does a really great job in a dramatic lead role and uh so yeah i think that movie is awesome cool my number eight is a film we recently talked about on this podcast And it's my only documentary feature on here, and it's called Honeyland. I really love the way this uh, the movie feels. It just has this kind of like magical, dreamy quality that we we talked about. That kind of everything fell into place as they were filming this. The story that arises and the narrative that arises from kind of unexpectedly for us and for the directors of this, I think, is really special. Just all around really wonderful documentary feature and that is why it is in my top 10. That's your only doc? It is, yeah. I think both of our documentary picks are similar in that there's no uh, there's no interview aspect, there's no narrator. We're just kind of dropped into this world. I would argue that Apollo 11 is also kind of dreamy in its way. I mean, it's factual and real life, right. but uh just like you're you're literally traveling sp- through space with Neil Armstrong, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And it, it does a really great job at, uh, Honeyland does a really great job at or, or really showing you this way of life that I was unfamiliar with and these practices that I was unfamiliar with, but doing it without, you know, telling you about it. It's just, uh, it's just showing you. And I think it's a really beautiful film. Yeah, I'd agree. So my number eight, and I'm shocked that it's this low on my list because <laughs> I love this movie. Yeah. It is called Little Women, hmm. directed by Greta Gerwig. So I saw this movie twice, and that, maybe it's at a slight advantage, you know, repeat viewings often help out with uh, clarifying your feelings towards a movie or what have you, but the main complaint I had the first time was, since I was unfamiliar with the source material, it's kind of a non-linear storytelling style, and I got a little lost throughout it, or, yeah. or there were just times it's like, wait, where are we? When are we? Yeah. The second time, once you've seen all that, all of the emotional beats, you're not spending any time trying to figure out where you are or anything. So every intent of the filmmaker with certain scenes, certain bits of dialogue lands so much harder. So maybe not the uh, best characteristic of a film that once you watch it the second time, it's really great. (laughs) But um, man, I love this movie. I kind of cry throughout the whole thing <laughs> but i also love how it's it's one of those films that will have you crying one moment and then laughing the next moment and, yeah for uh, sure i just i love their little family uh all the all of the little women are <laughs> charming in their own ways and i appreciate 
from what I understand now, being a little more familiar with the source material, is the character Amy, played by Florence Pugh, mm-hmm. uh, historically was kind of a bratty, annoying character and was really brought to life in a new way by a great performance from Florence. And cool. So, uh, love this movie. I'm sad it has to be at my number eight <laughs> spot, but uh, Little Women, that's my number eight. I would really love to see all of these movies at least twice on the list, and I'm sure that there might be some rearranging if I had done so, but, you know, it was only afforded the privilege of having multiple viewings of just a few of these, but. Which is, um, is two the most, like you said, like meaning you've seen some yeah. of these movies twice. Have you seen any of them more than three times? I have seen Marriage Story like two and a uh, several scenes. So like right, two and a right. half times maybe. Yeah. <laughs> One of the ones on my list I've seen four times, yeah, and I love it. And it's not even my number one. Your number seven, sir. My number seven, man, I would say seven through four here are really tough to even put one above the other. Interesting. I like like them all for different reasons, but about the same. But I love number seven, and it's Jojo Rabbit. Great movie. Great movie. Again, I do love the performances here. I love the delicate balance that Taika Waititi manages to have here between, you know, a really heavy subject, but also humanizing the characters in the film and then really showing kind of this evolution of this boy that was brainwashed and born into something and working his way through that. Yeah, I think it's a really nice film with some really funny moments, some really gut-wrenching moments. I'm sure we'll talk about, there's there's specific scenes in here I love and... um some musical moments too i'm sure we'll talk about later i think it's an important movie yeah i really like jojo rabbit but it definitely falls under the category for me of i wish i would have seen it more than once yeah both this and another really good movie knives out kind of fell in the like 16 to 20 range for me wow this year and uh had i Watched. I had intended to see both of them again and didn't get around to it. So yeah. the other things just uh, kind of edged them out. Like we said, big, good movie year. Um, so my number seven, I think, is going to be a lot higher on your list. You That's don't fair. have you don't have to. Uh, oh, I won't. <laughs> but we saw it together very recently, and mm. we're probably still going to do an episode on it. A French film by the name of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Ah. This movie technically came out last year, but it's in theaters and wide release like right now. Yeah. Um, it's playing at Alamo. It's playing at, I think, Angelica and a bunch of other places. But it is a French film about women in the 18th century, I think. Correct. And it's such a like small, but also kind of huge film. And like, it's a hugely emotional film mm-hmm. in a very small setting and a small story if that makes sense would you agree yeah it's got some of the best cinematography i i saw of the last year it's a story about women and and i guess kind of women's rights but more like the the experience of being a woman at that time but i think there are plenty of parallels to today and it's also a queer story i'm hoping you have this on your list higher and can speak better on it than i can (laughs) but uh there's just so much um kind of longing and desire and painstaking story i don't know i I don't even know how to describe it it's it's still it's the freshest of anything because we just saw it a week ago but it was one that you and i kind of stopped or at the end we kind of turned to each other and 
whoa yeah <laughs> like this movie and if i again if i saw it again it may, it may edge out a couple of these other films that i have higher but it is incredible incredible acting incredible there are a couple music moments i don't remember the score as well from like beginning to end but mm-hmm. there are very specific moments that burned into my brain yeah and uh it's just great so that's my number seven it's a good one my number six is another film we've discussed on the podcast and it is called uncut gems again i love them all for different reasons this i love the experience of uh the film the thrill of it just kind of sucks you in and gets you attached to this character that's not truly a a likable character but you're invested i think the the cast is fantastic i think julia fox did a, a really great job as as her it was her first and kevin garnett's first uh acting appearances yeah, I, I love the, the, I think the soundtrack is one of the strongest of the year. I think Adam Sandler gives uh, a pretty incredible performance here. How raw the film is and how uh, intense it is, I think is just, I really enjoy when movies make me feel something and I um, kind of attach to that experience and, and feel something new from a film. And I felt that. So yeah, I love this movie. I mean, it totally could be higher but right now it's sits at number six baby well and i do have it higher (laughs) but i'm not going to tell you where just yet (laughs) totally could be higher my number six it's the only um full-on comedy Mm -hmm. in my top 10 i think i know what it is it is a little film called book smart nice so book smart is directed by olivia wilde it's her directorial debut and it stars caitlin deaver and beanie feldstein Uh, as uh, two best friends who were essentially nerds in high school that decide when they learn that all the popular party kids also got into really great colleges, they kind of have an existential crisis and decide that they need to party on their very last day of uh, high school. Man, this movie is hilarious. This movie is wonderfully heartfelt. You know, you hear a lot of, you hear complaints by maybe what some would describe as the old guard of comedy saying, oh, you can't, you can't joke about anything anymore. You can't, you know, like PC culture, it's killing comedy. This movie is a prime example of how you can still be funny and not be a dick to really anybody because it's maybe what I would call an inclusive comedy. There are plenty of LGBTQ characters, there are plenty of funny men, there are plenty of funny women, there are funny people of all races, um, although it is a majority white movie, so maybe that, maybe that, but um, it's, it's just a wonderful story about two best friends that are, it very much is the super bad of our time. But yeah, these these two best friends that just love each other so much, they're adorable, and I think this movie's hilarious, and it is my number six. Nice. So my number five. Top five, baby. Here we are. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Is a film called Marriage Story. Nice. (laughs) Again, I say it every time. It could be higher. All right. It's tough. Once you get to the top five, it's difficult. Again, another film full of... Really great scenes, really great performances, some really, really smart writing. Yeah, Adam Driver's performance in this is definitely one of my favorites of the year, as well as Scarlett Johansson. Um, She had an awesome, awesome year in several movies, actually. And so, yeah, the film does a great job at, like, feeling kind of um, having this, like, dreamy kind of quality to it. And it deals with, I think, divorce in a really effective and smart way 
I haven't really seen a movie like it before. Definitely one of the strongest in terms of writing of the year. I've seen it multiple times. This is the one that I've seen two plus times. We had talked about this during our Oscars thing, but I really, I really wish Adam would have won the uh, the Oscar for this performance. I'm sure it will come up on your list, and we can talk talk some more about it. And that's one. Like, for example, there are three movies in my top five that we've already done a right. very long form discussion yeah. on previous episodes. So listeners can go back and listen to our thoughts on these for sure. Absolutely. My number five, we have discussed, and I've talked about my Happy Tears moments from it also, but not in its own particular episode. Okay. So this movie made the most money last year. It is a film called Avengers Endgame. Wow. Despite there being... A ton of great movies that are maybe more award-worthy or emotionally deep or speak to truths of the human experience in in a better way than uh, Marvel movies can or maybe not can, but tend to do. Mm -hmm. The fact that this movie exists and it even kind of works after having to weave together 22 previous movies um, is nothing short of mind-blowing. And... In addition to working, I think it soars in just about every way. As, as, as long as you can deal with time travel being like a plot point. Some people hate that. Yeah. But if you're a fanboy like me, this was the perfect ending to a 22 movie saga that largely worked. It's, it's just unprecedented. It is a huge accomplishment in the film industry in the history of movies, like I said, it's just crazy that this movie exists and that for the most part, at least for me, the emotional moments all land while still having the excitement and the kind of, you know, pixels clashing into each other, CG battles that also for the most part for me worked. I think this movie is great. I think it may be my favorite Marvel movie because of the way that it, it ties all these things together. And I'll probably still watch Marvel movies moving forward, but I don't have as much interest as I once did and I think part of that is because they they wrapped up this chapter of their story so beautifully that yeah maybe I'll I'll check out what they're doing next but but this is a huge part of my adulthood since Iron Man came out when I was 18 and uh now that story is over and um I just think it's great Marvel Endgame number five nice Marvel Endgame Avengers Endgame number five <laughs> so on to my number four so um my number four is a Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. I'm a big Terrence Malick boy. Love a lot of his films. I do know that. Uh, I think the cinematography in this is stunning. Some just absolutely gorgeous images captured in this film, as well as it's a story of Franz Jagerstatter. He is an Austrian farm farmer who refused to fight for the Nazis in World War II. And this is based on true events. It's, um, I think, a really important film and story. It's one of the reasons I, I have it this high. I think it was a really great film experience. It's a very long film. So I think that maybe it could be a bit shorter, but I really love Malik does a really great job at capturing just like these really, really big scenes of nature, but also really, really small, intimate scenes between characters and, and family members and them and their work. Um, on the farm and you get a, a real sense of kind of how hard their work is and then how just how brave this this uh, guy was so yeah it's my uh it's my number four 
Yeah, um, we've discussed this also before on the podcast, but I've never seen a Terrence Malick movie. I'm a little intimidated by his style, and so I was going to wait until I saw some of his earlier work before I dove into his stuff. And yeah. um, so is that, by your estimation, the because I haven't seen A Hidden Life, is right. that the only one on your list that I haven't seen? I think, uh, yes, it is. Yeah. It is the only one on my list that you have not seen. Well, maybe I'll see it at some point. <laughs> I bet you will. Um, yeah, it's a. It's actually not a terrible place to start. Um, it is a very big, long film, but I think it's a pretty linear story where some of his other things um, are a bit kind of more poetic. And mm. um, I mean, all of his films are are a little bit that way, but this just the storyline's a bit more linear than some of his previous uh, kind of work that he did in the middle of his career. So yeah, and well, and most recent works too. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely worth checking out A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. So my number four, you've already t- talked about it, so I will not spend too long, but my number four is Uncut Gems, directed mm-hmm. by the Safdie brothers. Everything you said is right. It is um, a wonderful performance by pretty much everybody involved, but yeah. of course Adam Sandler deserves a huge shout out. I said this when we talked on the podcast, but I've never felt more stressed out in a movie in my entire life. Um, I've never had an experience in a movie theater quite like this. And that's why it's so high on my list is uh, it, it's just it is it gets under your skin. It does. And it's such a unique viewing experience, especially if you see it in a theater. Movies that have such a tone to them that are so of 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 a very specific voice. And, mm-hmm. and it's just this single singular experience. Yeah deserve to be celebrated i think and for sure this movie is definitely that um kevin garnett kills it and sandler just just he just blows my mind you know Mm -hmm. he inhabits this crazy character that you just at many points just want him just want to punch him in the face like he just (laughs) won't stop talking yeah the the magic of this movie is that despite everything that bothers you, everything that stresses you out, everything that rubs you the wrong way, at the end of the day, in that last act of the movie, you're on the edge of your seat and probably rooting for this character that for the first hour and a half you were so turned off by. Yeah. He, they win you over. It's just so crazy. And uh, it's my number four. Cool. Well, my number three might surprise you. Mm. But it's Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. I figure I knew it was going to be on your list, I think. Yeah. So why it's this high is because I had to throw on something here that I just had a really fun time with all the way through. And I think had a um, really great screenplay, um, original screenplay that uh, is unique in that I don't see, you know, many films like this anymore. Um, This kind of whodunit that is told in a very very smart way with, um, you know, some themes that don't beat you over the head, but are still, still there. So that I think there's a, I don't know, just some important, he, he's trying to say something, but he's doing it in this framework. That's really fun. It's hilarious. Um, it's really, the pacing's really great. The cast is incredible. I almost wish this was like a TV show because I, I wish that if there's only one thing, uh, I wish it did maybe a little bit better was just include some of the other cast members just like 
a little bit more, but I recognize that, you know, he does this in a, a short amount of time. So there's, you can't get into everyone. I still think he does a really great job at showing you a little bit of every character, but um, yeah, maybe like someone like Lakeith Stanfield might be a little bit underutilized here. But in any case, I always want there to be more films like this and these kind of films to break up some of the, the heavier film experiences. So that's why it's this high because I feel like I can kind of watch it all the time. And I still think it's it's really smart. And the way it, the final scene is just spectacular as well. Yeah, like I already mentioned, wish I could have gotten back to see it again. Uh, the biggest sin of this movie for me, as was discussed on this podcast, is Correct. Daniel Craig's accent. Just bugged me the whole way through. I think one more viewing maybe to work out my feelings and really just uh, <laughs> come to terms with it right. might have done it a lot of good. I think um, so. But yeah, everything you said is absolutely correct. It's very smart. It's very exciting. Uh, it's funny at times. The fact that Ryan Johnson was able to take this murder mystery whodunit and uh, kind of sneak attack you with mm-hmm. uh, what I think is a worthwhile political message. As is, well as it's a different structure from a lot of whodunits before it kind of yeah just changes the structure of it in a, in a cool way that i was not expecting so for sure good pick so my number three is knives out by ryan johnson excellent okay my number three has already been mentioned it's a little that- story <laughs> is it a little story it is a little story it's a little marriage story it is a little marriage story <laughs> directed by noah baumbach yeah um everything you said about this is right I have watched, this is the movie, I've watched it four times. Yeah, it, it, you've said this before to me, but it's a film that I feel like you want to just immediately kind of watch it again. Like, I, I don't know if I could get tired of this film. I think it flows extremely well. Great performances. Not to take away from what you're about to say, but I just remember you specifically saying that it's like, I just kind of, I keep, I'm drawn back to it. Right. And it gets funnier every time. That's one thing that's so great about it is there's so much humor infused into a very sad story. Yeah. And uh, each time I watch it, I find something new that either makes me laugh or just like makes me laugh way harder the first time. Every time I hear Scarlett Johansson say, suck each other's dicks, (laughs) it kills me now. Um, So (laughs) nice. For a movie that is so sad and, and, Especially when we talk about our happy tears, I have a moment in here that's in my top five of the year. I love the way this movie makes me feel. Despite the fact that this movie makes me feel very sad throughout a lot of it, it makes me feel very human in a, in a way that I really love. Um, it makes me want to cling to the person and the people that I love the most all the more strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me both comforted and completely distressed by the fact that your entire life can fall apart and in the end you'll probably be fine. You know, like I find that both very comforting and also absolutely horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, I love the pace of this movie. I love, I know you and I kind of differed a little on the score of this movie, but yeah. the more I think about it, the more I think that maybe it is because it's Randy Newman and it just a little bit feels kind of like that Toy Story style. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe something is a little nostalgic and comforting in that way. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I will probably watch it again. I have been known to repeat view in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite as many times as this one, but I feel like this is a movie I'll probably watch every year 
for the next 10 years or yeah. something. You know, I just, I just I can love see that it. Too. There are other movies on this list that I, well, I mean, there are two movies on this list that I ranked higher, but definitely don't want to watch them as often as that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so definitely gains points for watchability and so many wonderful heartfelt moments and so many hilarious moments. And, uh, it's, it's great. It's my Love number that. three. So I feel like there's a decent gap between my number three and my number one and two here. Okay. Cause these two films just kind of blew my pants off. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out which one <laughs> is first or in second. Cause I, I yeah. know what they are. All right. Um, I don't know which one's first and second. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to say number two is portrait of a lady on fire. I think the, the ensemble cast here is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I think the things you've already talked about here, the cinematography, some of the best of the year. Um, I really, really love, you had mentioned the not remembering what the score was like, but it's because there wasn't one until like, (laughs) Until like these big uh, dramatic music moments that I think were, yeah, just mind blowing. Also explains why they hit so hard. Yeah, that's right? a, yeah for sure. Yeah, it's a film about uh, desire and painting and it's one of the most sensual fi- films. I think the, without the, the lack of score really accentuates all of the uh, sounds that are happening on screen. So you, you get these really like, you hear all of the brush strips and you hear them everything that goes into making food during that time and doing all of these like really hands-on uh things so you just feel really in this in this world in this 18th century world and i feel that the some of the scenes outside are just just spectacular and gorgeous and yeah i think that the last i mean we'll talk about this later but the last 10 minutes of this are just and just kind of blew my mind i wanted to go right back right back to it. I had a hard time. Uh, the film is in French and I came into this film with a kind of a weird, my mind was kind of racing about other things. So I had a hard time settling in for the first like 30 minutes of this movie, uh, which is why I really want to see that part again. But I kind of was like trying to figure out what was going on and why she was painting this portrait of, um, one of the main characters. It kind of has everything. And, uh, I think was directed extremely well. Yeah, Celine Sciamma uh, is just made a beautiful film, and uh, I'm excited to see what else she has in her brain. Unfortunately, this was not um, what's what's the word I'm looking for um, um, presented or uh, like nominated. Submitted. Submitted. It wasn't submitted. This wasn't France's submission as their uh, as their international film for the the Oscars. So uh, Les Misérables was theirs. Which seems so crazy to me. Yeah, I can't imagine this not being... It would have been awesome if Parasite won one best uh, picture and this had one be- best international yeah. feature. I, don't, I know that seems funny, but yeah, I, I think it's just an incredible, incredible film. Yeah, and I, I loved how you talked about how sensual it is mm-hmm. and uh, along the lines of being more engaged with the sounds of it because of the lack of score, you're also more engaged in the visual of it. There's no distraction... Um, and there's nothing else to uh, inform your emotion other than what you're seeing and, and those kind of tactile sounds. Right. Uh, and I love the relationships in this film, too. Some of the side characters right. um, yeah. are, yeah, it's just really great. I love, just had a really nice time watching it. So Intoxicating is a word I would use. Yes, I would use that word as well. 
Um, okay, so now we're at my number two, and I think it is fortuitous that your number one is up next because I think it's the same film. I would bet so. Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Yeah. For me, I was torn between the movies I loved the most and the movies that I thought were kind of objectively the best. Yeah. And Parasite is is way up there for, I think, both of those because mm-hmm. I do think Parasite is the best film of the year. And it's hard to say that because it's such a subject. Art is all subjective. Right. You know it does everything well. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, whereas my number one, something about it just struck a chord with me that I just, I just love it so much. Yeah. Parasite is exciting. It is dark. It is hilarious hilarious (laughs) it's it's so smart there's so much wonderful symbolism but you never feel preached at i mean honestly when i when i think about bong jun ho and his his acceptance speech where he quoted martin scorsese that which is most personal is most cinematic no i don't remember or most maybe most precious i don't remember the exact quote but it feels so personal to him and in a way that is i think uh just so perfect yeah We've already done a whole episode on this, so I don't I don't even really know what to say. I think it was deserving of Best Picture and Best Director and every award it got. Yeah. And uh, I think everyone should see this movie. So, yeah, that's that Parasite is my number one film of the year. I think just going off what you said, I just the more I think about it, the more I think that every part of this movie is kind of masterfully done um, from the pacing to um yeah, the cinematography, the ensemble cast is brilliant. Um, the themes of this are brilliant. The way that it's executed is, is um, you know, from a master filmmaker and who's, you know, made some other really fantastic films. I'm just super excited that he's getting the recognition he deserves here. It, yeah, it's just exciting that a film in a different language was this popular and well-received and did well in the theaters and kind of all of the above. Yeah. The set pieces I think are just brilliant. The blocking in this film is, is brilliant. So when I, when I kind of just think of the film that did everything really, really well, this is it. I'm super excited to kind of keep trying to get more and more out of the, this film. I've only seen it one time, seen several scenes again, but, but yeah. It's my number one film of 2019 and just practically a tie with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, I I figured I knew (laughs) I just knew watching it how much I mean, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. the Portrait of a Lady, I mean, and uh, but I just knew how much more you were loving it sitting right next (laughs) to me. Well, both like I said, that first 30 minutes of Portrait, I I, I would I would love to go back because I think I would actually like it more a second time through because of because of where I was at. But I. I do think that it just hits so hard in that third act and both of these films really, really do. Um, I love the, that the humor is there and, and parasite and it's the family element is there. And I remember us walking out and being like, how did someone create that and think think of that particular story and those visuals. And so still kind of blown away by it. Another thing you were talking about with uh, parasite, like the symbolism there. I do think that like every shot is important. Like there's no wasted shots. It's edited really well. Right. Screenplay is fantastic. So just like I said, all the above. Very good. It's just so metaphorical. (laughs) So metaphorical, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So that means mine number one 
is the last black man in San Francisco. On a technical level, there are there are better movies this year. Parasite, you just spoke so beautifully about how it it uh, just is kind of firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I think Marriage Story is another one that I just I love pretty much every aspect of it. I mean, you pointed out some flaws of this movie that I don't necessarily disagree with. There's just something about this movie that that just kind of spoke to me very deeply. I, first of all, San Francisco is my favorite city in the world. I've I had a very formative experience there in my early 20s, like my first grown up trip that I took on my own, you know, so yeah. like, I have a lot of love for the city of San Francisco. It does a really great job of capturing the city, too, I feel like. Right. And it's the movie is in a lot of ways a love letter to that city. Yeah. And so, um, of course, I was going to really love it. I love that this is basically about outside of just being a, a, about that city it's about friendship it's about brotherhood it's about the black experience in urban environments it's about gentrification and it's also about the stories of our families and the stories that not only are people and our ancestors tell us but also the stories that we kind of tell ourselves about who we are and what informs our identity mm-hmm. and uh, this movie just uh, just kind of lodged itself in in my brain both on a musical level, I love the score. I love all the original music that was created for it. Mm-hmm. I love there's a there's a really great um, kind of cover that's a, a recurring motif. Of yeah. If you're going to San Francisco, um, I think that's the name of the song, and uh, th- that I find just incredibly beautiful. And then uh, the warmth of the cinematography kind of stuck with me. You know, there's the, when I think about certain movies throughout the this year, like I think about Parasites, kind of dingy kind of green i think of it as very kind of dark and green Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways maybe i'm thinking of the basement right (laughs) yeah and i think parasite perfectly captures a lot of the negative aspects of of life today and i think the last black man in san francisco which actually has a lot of themes in common with parasite um i think it also uh kind of shines a light on some of the best aspects of of life and and the things you love right there's a a, very, a key line um where he says you can't hate san francisco i'm paraphrasing but yeah. you can't hate san francisco unless you love it yeah yeah and uh that that really struck a chord with me and uh I, I just I think this this movie is beautiful. I love the way the characters interact. I love how um, I love the friendship of the two main characters. Yeah, I mean it's it's just great. And I think that the actor that plays Jimmy's best friend is going to be a breakout star in the next couple of years. I think he's great, and his name is Jonathan Majors. He's awesome. And there's this great scene where there's guys out on the street corner like arguing and he kind of runs out and like starts directing them as if they're acting in a play and like giving them notes on a real conversation they're having. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think yeah. it's actually really moving as as the story unfolds and we, you find out more about this character and how he looks at his community and the people in his life. And uh, yeah, I did just something about this movie just, just I find so absolutely beautiful. And I think while parasite is technically the best film on a like a technical level this movie just makes me feel a weird tinge of hope about the world in a way that maybe parasite doesn't Mm -hmm. so yeah i love the last black man in san francisco beautifully said if you're going to san francisco be sure to If 
Okay, so top 10 in the bag. Nice. So now we've got a couple different categories that we just thought would be fun to talk through. Some of our favorite scenes, either by how funny they are or musical moments. Yeah. Um, as well as our notable happy tears, as we always return to. Um, you want to start with funniest scenes? Yeah, we can go with funniest. I don't have a, a ton a ton here. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the funniest scenes, there's a, a scene between Ana de Armas' character in Knives Out and Daniel Craig's character kind of towards the end uh, of the film, kind of the climax of the movie. The setting is just great. They're going back and forth and there's this kind of like visual gag thing that's happening. It's kind of the the climax of this whodunit that I think is just a, a really, really funny back and forth. Just really good writing too um, because there's this physical element uh, of it that that's really funny as well. Now I remember. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was like, what could this possibly be? But the physical element that, that gives it away. Yeah. And this I, characteristic of, of um, Ana de Armas' character that I think is just super funny. I'll give you one of my, I got two cool funny scenes. Have you seen Booksmart? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I didn't want to spoil it. So to set up the scene, our two best friends uh, are trying to find the party um, on their last day of high school, and they end up in an Uber, Mm -hmm. and one of them is uh, gay um, and has never had any real sexual encounters, and they decide that they need to watch some pornography in the Uber with their headphones in order to do some quote-unquote research mm. and it seems very academic so the uh the uber driver who also happens to be their high school principal which is hilarious and played by jason sudeikis hands them a phone charger and there's a mix-up and while they're watching the stuff on the phone they switch they accidentally switch over the audio to play from the car speakers and the sound that comes out of the speakers <laughs> is absolutely hilarious yeah oh my <laughs> god it sounds a little wet <laughs> And it sounds a little violent (laughs) and it sounds perfect and hilarious. And it is, in my opinion, one of the funniest scenes of the year. Yeah, I guess my other one would be there's a back and forth in Marriage Story that I just find so funny um, when Scarlett Johansson's character's um, sister is supposed to be serving Adam Driver's character. Nicole says you're doing a play. I, I think you'd like it. It's a great unproduced play by this really interesting British writer. So you do an English accent? Yeah. It's more Northern England. Oh. What does that sound like? <clears throat> oh. You want a cup of tea, do you? <laughs> right. Good. Oh, thank you, missus. What is? What's this? Ooh, it's a manila envelope. Ooh. Can I start over? There's my name on it. Ooh. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. You're served. Just the, the writing is so funny and the way that she keeps kind of going back and forth and is so hesitant, I just think is hilarious. So That was also my second choice. Really? So, yeah, <laughs> I love That's this That's crazy. Scene. Everything about that is hilarious. Her terrible British accent is so funny to me. Also just so effective at that there's like, it's a charming scene between like two, you know, it's her brother-in-law who she's had a relationship, 
you know, with for a while and is like having to do something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> super uncomfortable. Um, but then they're, it, they kind of revert back to this, uh, kind of brother sister relationship that they had. And she's trying to work out how she's going to sneak that in. I think it's just great. I agree. Let's do top musical moment. I think I have several top musical moments. It was a good year for that. I think they all occur in within movies in my top 10. So I'll start with the one that was the lowest and then work up. Cool. Um, so I, the last black man in San Francisco had a wonderful score and kind of the theme uh, and this like musical motif that played throughout. I love all the scenes that it was connected with. And I think it just played perfectly and had, it just, it, it was stuck in my head after the, the film as well. And will probably be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. It's like subtly grand or something. I don't know how to explain it, but I think the word that was coming to mind just now for me was reverent. Like yeah. we talk about how this movie is kind of a love letter to San Francisco. It, it just like, it's, it's reverent, it's grand, it, it like matches the nature of the love that these guys feel for their city. Yeah. It's also kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. You know? It has like a, that nature to it while also feeling, uh, having like this bigger than life kind of quality. I don't know. It's, it's the, and the, the specific, like I was saying, the specific moments that it plays throughout the film are just, just perfect moments for it. And I'm um, a sucker for, for solo resonant piano. Yeah, me too. And that's that's great. uh, Great choice. Yeah, so one of my favorite moments musically. This isn't my favorite movie of the year. Some people liked it. I think most people were kind of like, yeah, it's fine. But Mm -hmm. Renee Zellweger does a really great job as Judy Garland. And that's why she won Best Actor in a Female Role. Really, the whole movie is, is about Judy Garland. She's in her late 40s. This is actually just a few months before she ends up dying. It's a very sad movie about a woman that was treated very horribly within the uh, the studio system of the golden age of Hollywood and um, what that does to a person once she comes out the other side in terms of now she's a grown-up human being. The movie chronicles a, uh, a string of performances. She uh, she did like a residency in London in the 60s, and it all ends with her singing a very famous song, so I'm just going to play a little bit of it. This next one, it isn't a song about getting anywhere. It's about walking toward somewhere that you've dreamed of and maybe maybe the walk is every day of your life and the walking has to be enough it's about hope And we all need that. Land 
Trying to talk through my tears after <laughs> listening to that. Um, the best thing about this movie is is this moment, I think. And it's just kind of crazy how I think everyone, for the most part, knows this song, right? It's just yeah. a huge piece of pop culture history and film history. And most people, even if they haven't seen it, they know The Wizard of Oz. This song in particular being this hopeful, beautiful song about... Uh, the future and about the best things in life and, and getting to those things. The, what this film does really beautifully is put that in the context of Judy's life now, like 35, 40 years after The Wizard of Oz has come out and how, what a kind of horrible life that she she lived and, and how difficult it was for her. And this song in particular put through that lens is tragic and heartbreaking and uh for me it was difficult to get i was sobbing like a like a baby and so <laughs> this was uh a top musical f- moment for me and i'll bring it up again but it's it's one of my my biggest uh happy tears moments it gets a little cheesy and in in a, like she like breaks down and the whole crowd like stands up and sings it back to her and, <laughs> and uh, that didn't that felt cheesy and it didn't resonate with me but the the like 30 seconds to to 90 seconds of her just kind of she's like slumped on the floor singing was really beautiful i love that i forgot about one and i want to throw in here because i didn't mention this and i haven't mentioned this all year but um there's a film called amazing grace that documents aretha franklin performing gospel songs at the new temple missionary baptist church in los angeles in 1972 wow and it's a pretty stunning film i've Obviously, she's an incredible singer. The way she sings and how she's on stage shining during these performances and how much of a presence she has is pretty unbelievable. I don't know if there's one particular moment that I would pull out of it, but I just think because the whole move, the whole thing is like a performance, right? It's not practically watching a whole a whole concert and there's a lot of very emotional moments, but I think it's worth mentioning and on the musical moments of the year. I think that's perfect and i'm so glad you're saying that because the next one i was going to talk about is very similar it's a i guess you'd call it a documentary but the one i was going to bring up is beyonce's homecoming yeah which is a you know like a concert live in concert thing um but it's got behind the scenes documentary style footage but that whole experience i don't think i could pick out one particular moment but uh it's just outstanding wonderful um another one i'd love to note is at the end of Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it might involve at least one person dancing. It is one of my favorite musical moments. I will go to my next one that won't spoil anything. Uh, that's Adam Driver singing, what's the title of this? Being alive. Being alive. Being alive. <laughs> 
somebody need me too much? Somebody know me too well? Somebody pull me up short and put me through hell and give me support for being alive? Make me alive. The last one I have, I was I was gonna mention the beginning of Jojo Rabbit. Oh, nice! I I love the Beatles cover of "I Want to Hold Your Hand," <laughs> yeah. sung in German. Awesome. But the the last big one. It's one of two moments from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and I'm hoping it's the other moment because I know you've got <laughs> you've got we're one. lining up here, yeah. <laughs> so there are two moments that we sort of t- touched on when we talked about our top tens, but very specifically in this film, there's one at the end and one towards the middle, yeah. second second half of the the film, and um, they just hit so hard with the thunderous concrete. Resonance. Yeah, they're both, to me, they were both almost overwhelming. They were so, I just felt like I could feel my heart beating in my chest. They were just super impactful and struck this punch because of how that movie is, there's not that score in the background that's taking you to these places already. And kind of going off what you mentioned with those particular ones, the particular piece at the end is a callback to an earlier scene between the two main characters. Right. And and that musical moment is just beautiful, and it's the most sensual piano moment I've ever seen in a, in a film. Yeah, uh, where one of the characters reaches under this the cover of this piano, like it's like the piano is wearing uh, a dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> and uh, the way she kind of plays it under the the piano cover is really fantastic. So right, and then at the end of the movie, when it when it calls back to that, it is. Uh, incredibly moving to say yeah. the least. Yeah. And the the one that I was going to highlight is I don't want to get too into the details of the plot, but there there's this kind of bonfire and uh these women get together and I don't really know the remember the purpose for them all just like kind of being there. I guess it's just kind of a thing to do like a I think of like high school kids getting together in like a <laughs> like a ranch party or something. Yeah. So there's these women around this campfire and all of a sudden they start this kind of hymn or chant chorus song chorus thing, yeah. as it swells cuz it gets so it's it feels um one of the jokes I saw on Twitter was it sounds like the uh the THX opening. <laughs> yeah. I had a funny experience with it where it was almost, I thought that maybe something bad was going to happen because of how the noise, it's just kind of an unfamiliar noise that comes in out of nowhere. And it's, it's like, it feels synthesized and otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't so perfect, it would feel completely out of place in this mm-hmm. movie. But for whatever reason, it's pulled off. It's like it, she like threaded this needle of how to just make this completely mm-hmm. non naturalistic sound fit yeah. in this scene. and it doesn't seem out of place it's more of like a kind of transcending moment in the movie right it's 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 fantastic and and there's a particular interaction between two characters that happens kind of across this fire that that uh that is significant and mm-hmm. so um yeah it's great those are my mu- musical moments as well as yours nailed it what we got next nick well um we had talked about kind of like some of our favorite performances yeah and one word that you and i kind of threw around was underrated i don't know that all of the ones i have are necessarily in that camp but um so maybe just call it performances of the year sure. or underrated performances whatever you whatever you want but i'll start yeah my first one, and I'm, I'm wondering if you have anything along these lines, but I think that 
especially if you think of, since we were talking about it being kind of an underrated thing, when you think of awards and and the Academy and who they choose to award, I think that Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse really deserves recognition for, for that job. And I think Robert Pattinson is also incredible in that movie. But um, there's a particular scene where uh, Willem Dafoe gives this crazy, drunken, biblical tirade. Yeah. Hark! Hark! Triton! Hark! Bellow! Bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths full, foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with punch and slime. To choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with builds and brine and can scream no more. Only when he, crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacle tail and steaming beard take up his fell befinned arm, his coral... It's colossal. Yeah, colossal, for sure. That scene in particular is a great example of a of a wonderful performance throughout the entire film. He's on yeah, he's on my my list for performances as well. Uh just an incredible performance and that that scene showcased it wonderfully. Um uh, Nai Nai and the Farewell, which you've already mentioned, say her name for me. Zhao Shuzin. She is just such a natural in this movie. You have the feeling that she kind of knows more than everyone else thinks she knows it's just like she just carries this performance so naturally and and beautifully that i i think that she should definitely be recognized for it just a super lovable character i don't know if she like i haven't seen her in anything else but do you know her acting history much or i don't think she was like a first-time actor it says actor in one film oh wow but i don't know that's on letterboxd i could be it could be other films on imdb that i'm not aware of but yeah anyways she was she was great absolutely and then the ensemble cast of parasite and the ensemble cast of portrait of a lady on fire they just all were on par with each other they all had absolutely breathtaking performances i feel super nuanced especially like if you're thinking of parasite like every character has you follow each character at different points but you see like this whole family interact quite a bit as well and they all had their own flavor and own personalities and um, they all just did a, a really wonderful job, I think. Totally agree. One that I will definitely throw out as underrated, just because I didn't hear anyone outside of critics really talk about it. There was a movie that came out earlier this year called Wild Rose. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with it? Yeah. You didn't see it, did I you? have not seen it, no. Uh, it's on Hulu. It's worth checking out. It's not kind of like Judy, I think. It's not the best movie in the world, although I think it's pretty good. I, I think I liked it better than Judy. Yeah. Um, but the, the lead actress is played by a girl named Jessie Buckley, who's also in Judy and in a couple other films. And at least in the writing, to me, it seemed kind of like, kind of like a one-dimensional character. And I think the actress was able to really bring, breathe life into her and was just Incredible in, for, in terms of uh, musical performance, but also just her acting chops. And I think that Jesse Buckley is going to continue to do some really cool work. And I think uh, I'm excited to see what else she does. And then the only other thing I'll I'll add to performances, because 
I think a lot of the the Adam Drivers of the world in Marriage Story and and Joaquin Phoenix even have gotten their due for sure. <laughs> and so uh, I think just mentioning a couple of very young actors doing really great work. I think the girls in Booksmart are both great. They're in their late teens, early twenties, but also Noah Jupe in Honey Boy and the kid from Jojo Rabbit, Roman Griffin Davis. Both of those young men really brought an emotional depth to their characters that uh, was really impressive. And so I'm I'm excited that uh, that they're doing cool work and and really liked both of their movies. Yeah, and I'll add um, also in Jojo Rabbit, Thomason McKenzie, who plays Elsa, I think was wonderful as well. She's good. On to the next On to category. The next. Is it just Happy Tears or do you have anything else? Yeah, Happy Tears can kind of coincide with favorite scenes. Or... Okay, cool. The way I structured mine is I just have like my top five Happy Tears. So cool. if you if yours are not necessarily Happy Tear related, totally fine. Yeah, most of mine are for sure. So Excellent. Well, I've already mentioned mine, so I'm just going to get it out of the way. Cool. My number five is what I just played a minute ago with the Judy... Garland singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Just now watching it, tore me to pieces. After watching that movie, tore me to pieces. Like I said, not the greatest movie in the world, but a really good performance. And that moment brought on some real happy tears for me. So that's my number five. Do you have yours ranked? I don't have mine ranked. Okay. But I'll start with, is it a doc? It's a docker raft scene in Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, the raft scene. They've just pushed off. If it's what I'm thinking, you're yeah. thinking. Ah, so good. I'm excited for you to talk about it because I, I now don't. I, I feel like I'm confusing two scenes. It's been forever since I've seen this. Are they sitting on the? Is it the birthday wishes line? Yeah. Is that when they're on the raft? They push. They they're going down the river. Yeah. They haven't gotten to the ocean yet. But okay. They 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 literally just pushed off and they like sit after a hard day's work of like building their raft. Yeah. Yeah, so they're in the Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, Shia LaBeouf's character Tyler and Zach Gottsagen's character Zach uh, have just built this raft and are going down this river. There's just a moment between the two characters when they're sitting on the raft, and that was a happy tears moment for me, but also just um, just a really heartfelt scene between them and one of my favorite uh, scenes of the the year. Where what's the quote? I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm going to give you all my birthday wishes. And it's so good. It's so good. When we talked about it on the podcast, I, <clears throat> I couldn't even say that line without crying. Yeah, that was one of mine. It's a great moment. One of mine was the end of 1917 was actually very uh, powerful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, 1917 is this kind of odyssey through World War One, through like a number of battles and cities and, and war situations. And uh, the ending... Uh, you know, the main character kind of kind of reaches his destination, and uh, the last couple shots are are him just like kind of plopping down and sitting as the sun I think rises, and um, just the emotional weight of what we watched him carry kind of just you're just reminded of how heavy and what a toll that must have been. And it took me a minute before leaving the theater to uh, kind of process that, and and I had to like take some deep breaths before I was able to like get up and walk out of the theater. So. Um, yeah, the end of 1917 was, was a happy tears moment for sure. Beautiful. Uh, so there's a wonderful scene between Scarlett Johansson and Roman Griffin Davis and Jojo Rabbit. That is a really incredible mother son scene where she's playing herself, but also, uh, kind of filling in for his father. And it's a wonderful, um, 
performance piece by Scarlett Johansson is like acting inside in the scene, but also um, just a really touching scene on multiple levels. One that is father being gone, but she's also kind of trying to change his perspective on some things. And I think is effective that way too. And um, it's really great. So very powerful scene. Loved it. And very touching. Both. So number three is something that has not been once mentioned on our podcast, at least definitely not today. And I don't think I've mentioned it previously. Um, do you remember that movie that came out over the summer about the Beatles? Yeah. Called Yesterday? Yesterday. Yeah. Basic premise is one day this guy wakes up in a world where nobody can remember the existence of the Beatles except for him. And he uses that information to capitalize and <laughs> and uh, he's a struggling musician and, and starts passing off I Want to Hold Your Hand as song a song that he wrote and nobody knows because the Beatles don't exist. I'm going to go ahead and spoil this movie since I don't, I think most people who haven't seen it aren't gonna and um, if you're going to see it, well, you can just skip ahead like 30 seconds. Um, are you okay with me spoiling it for you? I'm okay with it. Okay. So, and maybe I've mentioned this to you before. We find out about three quarters of the way through the movie that the flip side of this guy waking up in a world without the Beatles is he, A, he finds out that there are three other people that also remember the Beatles. And instead of like trying to get him or anything, you know, uh, prosecute him or anything, they're just grateful that those songs get to exist in the world where they live. Um, and they also kind of give him an address and say, go here. And he goes and he takes this drive out into the country, we would presume in England, maybe Scotland, right? Like somewhere in, you know, this this lush farmland somewhere in uh, the UK, I imagine. And he goes and knocks on the door and, and who comes to the door but like a uh, somewhat elderly John Lennon. And uh, the flip side of the Beatles n no longer existing is that John Lennon, instead of being killed in 1980, just lived a life and um they they have a little bit of conversation and and the guys just asking him all these questions and it, it just turns out that he just lived his life and he found a girl and fell in love and and he had a fine life and uh this whole scene just tore me to pieces uh, i think mostly because i would give anything to live in a world where john lennon still existed yeah <laughs> and so uh so moving it's one of those scenes one of those moments sitting in a movie theater where I, I was just inconsolable you know like just like ugly crying <laughs> you know just like could not get a grip for like a good five minutes and so um yeah that was a big one for me for a movie that was fine but <laughs> but that moment was incredible that's awesome yeah glad you got to highlight that yeah moving on so we talked, this is a crossover between a musical moment, but the, uh, the marriage story, Adam Driver musical moment, I think, um, was just one of my favorite scenes of the year. It was a happy tears moment. And it's one of my favorite musical moments of the year. I've already talked about it, so we won't, I won't go into it anymore, but it's really great. And alongside that, there's kind of the, I guess the, the famous scene from the film of this kind of, uh, this breakdown scene where everything breakdown argument that I think is, is special as well that I'll include with that. Yeah. I mean, the last two I have are, I've talked pretty extensively on the podcast about, but one of them is from Merit's story and it's, it's the culmination of, of a lot of those moments that you just mentioned, but it's, for me, it was the ending where after all of these huge arguments and after this horrible divorce process, Charlie 
Adam Driver's character reads this letter that Scarlett Johansson's character had written at the beginning of the movie about all the reasons she loves him. And uh, watching him read that and watching his reaction, watching Scarlett Johansson's reaction as she listens in the doorway, and then watching as after that they kind of go off into their lives and and that's their life now, um, the, the kind of new normal of it all after, you know, being so in love and and going through this horrible divorce uh, just tore me to pieces. Another moment where I was kind of inconsolable, I had to like, Tess would never watch this movie with me, even though I tried to get her to so many times. (laughs) I had to like go upstairs where she was and like have her console me. Like I I just kind of like laid down in her lap for like 10 minutes and just kind of wept. And uh, it was a big one. Was that your last one? No, I got one more. All right. So um, I guess I'll mention... My my last, I think, Happy Tears moment that I'll mention will, is the uh, just about the last 10 minutes of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's like exhilarating. The pace picks up quite a bit. And it's just this whirlwind of emotions that ends in that musical moment. And, but there's like multiple, there's multiple times you think the film's going to end and it just keeps, keeps going. And the, the emotional impact never stops. And so it just kind of like... Just when I thought I could breathe again, it hits you with another, yeah, just exhilarating moment. And I think that I kind of had happy tears throughout that whole progression. And um, it's really beautiful filmmaking and it's super compelling filmmaking. And I I was a little baby. <laughs> uh, me too. Yeah. That, that whole moment is, and, or that whole ending is incredible. And then my last one, I've talked about it extensively. I'm not going to go on and on about Iron Man any longer, <laughs> but the end of Avengers Endgame after 22 movies and all of this time invested, all this emotional investment, the 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 last couple of minutes, uh, the whole big swell starting from when Captain America grabs the hammer and all the stuff. You guys don't need to hear me talk anymore about it, but another moment where I was absolutely inconsolable in the movie theater. I am inevitable. the perfect ending to a largely good and sometimes really great and successful movie story and uh yeah avengers endgame was it it just ended so perfectly and i i can i'll stop talking about it now (laughs) all right well those were our happy tears moments i'm gonna add just a few more scenes that i'd I'd love to mention here at the tail end that aren't happy tears related but uh, super effective at the, what they were trying to uh, convey. So one is the uncut gems. The last act mixed with the the courtroom, or not, sorry, the auction. <laughs> uh, oh, courtroom, yeah, the that, auction room scene. That auction scene um, is incredible. Just had you on the edge of your seat. I think that the, actually the lighthouse scene that you mentioned, uh, the, the kind of colossal monologue from Willem Dafoe is very special. And Parasite, when they are kind of outside of this house, descending back to their own and it's raining and there's just this descent and the the entire descent, I think, is just 
expertly crafted and, and really kind of like a marvel of filmmaking and it's raining super hard and you can just you feel the environment it's very visceral i guess is a good word for it and then we haven't mentioned once upon a time in hollywood at all but i do love the kind of mirrored trailer scenes uh brad pitt in his uh home and kind of just doing it's just edited super well and yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching him in his home and then uh leo in the in the his trailer yeah that's kind of we didn't really mention that at all so i i think also totally worth mentioning is uh margot robbie in mm. the in the theater and i yeah i think that maybe i kind of forgot about that part uh, might have even snuck in on a, a happy tears moment but i think she she pulls off all of the emotions in that scene super well and um, when she's watching herself on the screen so yeah yes i didn't know how else to throw those in no that's good cool i got uh, i could go all day with with scenes i love so i kept it limited to happy tears just so i would have some parameters for myself <laughs> So at long last, we finally recapped our favorite movies of 2019. And I'm glad we waited till after we saw Portrait of Lady on Fire because clearly it changed changed up the game. Changed the game, baby. <laughs> 2019 was a great movie year. And when we do our decade recap, we will do a little compare and contrast on movie years of the last decade. This one, I think, will be pretty high for me, but I, uh, I'm i a big 2016 boy. It so. just, <laughs> I love 2016, but for another medium oh we'll have to see i haven't even started to think about my music and other (laughs) year breakdowns oh man this is now you get me stressed out about the next one don't be stressed (laughs) hit us with some of your favorites of these things we love to hear them hit us on social and tell us your favorite happy tears moments of your 2019 movie experiences or favorite scenes or what have you And that wraps up our bonus episodes from 2019 Year in Review. Hope you enjoyed those. We had a fun time doing it. Looking forward to the decade. And with that, farewell. farewell.